The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. and welcome to Actually Interesting, a new podcast series about AI or artificial intelligence. I'm Russell Brown. This podcast is brought to you by Microsoft, which is helping take New Zealand products to the world with AI. There were a number of fascinating talks at this year's AI Day conference in Auckland, but there were none quite like the one by Te Araha Grace. It took an audience that had been listening to ideas about technology, business, law and politics into an entirely different space the space of Te Ao Māori. Te Araha is the Innovation Officer at Ngāti Whatua Ōrake, and I'm delighted to have gotten him here to spin off HQ to talk about what he calls the iwi algorithm. Tēnā koe. Tēnā koe, Russell. Um, now, I really enjoyed your talk, and I got the impression that at the base of what you were talking about was the understanding that what we get out of AI is governed by the assumptions we put into it. Would that be fair? Absolutely. And I think it's just about, you know, what does artificial indigenous intelligence kind of look like? And we can look at some of our existing infrastructure like our marae, our whare puni, our whare nui, our whare kai. And actually when we look at those things, even the mountains and the ocean, we draw on many stories. So it's a bit like the hard drive that you have in your computer. When you need to access the story, you draw it out of the computer. But... Māori, we've been doing this all the time just by the gaze at a certain natural icon. And so I reckon my ancestors were already onto Wi-Fi a long time ago. The one thing that fascinated me was you talked about systematising things like Māori and Wairua, which are not things we usually think of as quantifiable, you know, in the way we talk about data. Can you talk a bit more about that? I think the human has proven that he really loves to measure things. And so... When we look at money, um, which is a thing that has no conscience around it, um, it's just really a way of how we can exchange and be able to quantify that exchange. So my question is this. If we absolutely educate a child and they are happy to receive that education and they use that re- education um, for something that's practical or positive, how do we measure that? And so I think it's about how we can measure things with a one, a zero, or a minus one. And what I mean by that is, if we think about emotional capital, are we happier? And if you are happier than when you were before, you would get a one. If your state hasn't changed, you would get a zero. And if you're less happy, 
you get a minus one. And so you think about that for emotional capital, you think about the same thing for environmental capital, is it safe, has nothing changed, or is it unsafe? And then you think about social capital, have you established privilege in others? Yes, it hasn't changed. No, I've taken away from them, that's a minus one. These are some pretty simple metrics that live up to our real black and white view of what's good and what's not. And so if you could map this, map the effort and the abilities and capabilities of people, of the natural environment, and you surface them into a digital ledger, then you could start offering that to the globe because blockchain is exactly that, a digital ledger that people can market to. So we uh, at Ngāti Whātua Rāke um, built our own blockchain concept. We even trademarked the mana coin, um, which is an aspiration to take those values surface them in a digital ledger, something like planting trees. Ngāti Whātua planted a million trees under our nose because we felt the need to. Imagine if we put those a million trees onto a digital ledger. Another virtual currency like AirPoints might want to offset that as a carbon neutraliser. So this is about how we take our present-day values and map them to technology, um, which is sort of a concern as well because... If we think about the content that we can observe today, my ancestors could see stuff that we cannot see today. We need digital to do it. So part of my fear is, are we outsourcing too much to tech? What can we outsource to it? Because we've kind of divulged the beauty of our own biotech. Where is the hard drive use of our own biotech when we keep outsourcing it to technology? Are we making ourselves dumber? So these are the kinds of very deep questions that the iwi algorithm is all about. And it's interesting because you're talking about having AI that understands what are in some ways intangible concepts. Do you think that's possible? I think we are um, on the edge of being able to, as a community, give input in real time onto how we value things. So we shouldn't have to wait for the three years of another election you know, um, I think it needs to be about and, not or. It should be blue and red, not blue or red. And so I think it's absolutely possible with technology today um, to not only figure out a way whereby, you know, we can even sense the cleanliness of, a wa- of the water. We can even sense the cleanliness of the air. Why don't we take these things and try to sense how our people are feeling? Are they happy? And therefore, technology could automatically see some of the conditions that's, that's around it. I mean, it, 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 it's able to track a guy with a gun who can shoot up a lot of people. <laughs> if it can do that, I'm sure it can do many other things. Yeah, I, I guess because <clears throat> whenever you write uh, an algorithm to, to develop an AI, it's usually aimed at, at getting the optimum outcome. What you're saying is that there are other outcomes that we can be getting it to look for. Is that right? Yeah, and I think it's actually about who inputs into the algorithm. I mean, the algorithms that we see today are largely defined by dominant culture. Um, and you can argue that the research done on even our metabolism and our anatomy is actually premised on dominant culture. And so it's no wonder why dominated cultures haven't been able to heal or, you know, the research doesn't actually apply to them. So I think it's absolutely possible. Um, And we need 
uh, to my wife Lillian Grace says this really well. This is no longer about mass production. It's actually about mass customization. That's interesting. Um, and I mean, the, the, this is interesting because I, I, I don't think I understood that there was such a thing as a distinctive Māori worldview until I'd spent three years working on a Māori TV program. Um, and you almost can't expect that outcome to, to result from people who don't understand that doing the programming. Well, I'm, I'm connected to the Bastion Point movement, and prior to Bastion Point movement and Finna Cooper's Land March, Māori issues weren't on any map. It's not until those things occurred that it even got access into their political climate. But I think that's actually because of technology. Um, you know, the civil rights movement and all that stuff, we were able to hear it on the radio, we were able to see it on TV, and so actually the Māori issue was no longer just the Māori issue, we saw it as a, as a global issue, and that's probably the reason why we were able to stand up and have a bit more courage to do the land march and to do the Bastion Point movement, because, I mean, if it weren't for those things, we wouldn't have had any kohanga reo. We wouldn't have had a lot of the... Um, the privilege even that we have as Māori, and I think this comes back to that, that very issue. I think if, if New Zealand just taught education um, the history that's under its nose and not just the dominated culture, uh, dominating culture history, you know, we'd probably be able to access some of that empathy IP that Jacinda herself unlocked um, post the Christchurch attacks, and I think we have a real shot here to solve an issue that's a global issue and actually create some of our own IP, cultural IP, empathy IP, and take it to market. Um, environmental IP, you name it. I mean, I think it's really important also to note that things like the environment were in the highest state when my ancestor was in charge. You could catch fish with your hands, but 179 years later, we just need to look out the window, Russell, and that's no, no longer true. I, I, I like the way you're using phrases like cultural IP and the, and the iwi algorithm. You're using the language of IT and technology and business in a completely different context, and I presume that's deliberate on your part. Absolutely. I think when you are uh, the benefactor of being collided between your Western world, which I love, you know, I am a passionate Scottishman and Irishman and Croatian, and also this ancient pedigree of care, um, my Māori nation, it's no doubt, of course, that anyone will always uh, support their underdog culture. Um, and no one actually accuses me of being Irish or Croatian or Scottish. So it's been my privilege as a technologist um, since, you know, um, doing some hacking and owning my own 4860X100, a $6,000 computer in 1990, because I had a privileged uh, father who was wealthy. And so I was able to access all those technological things. And, and now... The combination of that technological experience and my ancestral narrative have found a time where I can articulate, uh, articulate it in the dominating culture's language. Um, and I love, I love um, stealing oxygen anyway, so it's, it all works out for me. <laughs> so w what's it look like in a practical sense? What, it looks what does it look like in terms of something we can look at and see going on? Uh, I mean, are there things going on with Faisal that, that you could point to? Yeah, um, well, I guess we've, we've built a, a bunch of really cool exper experiential products using augmented reality tech. And that was an ambition to tell New Zealand's history in an uh, in experiential way. And the reason why we did that is because we were worried that the compulsion of te reo Māori might actually cause an issue for our nation. 
And we thought if we made Te Reo Māori really cool, that's probably the best purchase is, be, is to bring people on because it's cool. And really it's what is the Uber of Te Reo Māori? How do we Trojan horse everyone? And I think it's just about making it sexy and cool. So we've done some really cool projects using Agile, which is Ao, A-O, Te Ao Māori, <laughs> and Jile, which is Agile, but using Te, te Ao Māori influence. And it's really about leveraging that metric that I gave you before and infusing it into um, what I call empathetic design on any future technologies. I mean, blockchain itself, despite um, the trust mechanism beneath that technology, actually has a power issue. So you imagine if we created the mana chain where everyone on the node has to have a solar panel. All of a sudden, we're competing with the blockchain by having an environmentally friendly service. So this comes out of our heads because we have a need to protect our environment. We treat the environment like a being. Um, and if you look at the legislation of the Uruweras and the Wanganui River um, as, um, as people, as beings, 1907, the Tohunga Suppression Act was a, was a legislation to say, Māori, you're not allowed to personify anymore on pain of death. And yet here we are, 100, 100 or so years later, we're actually legislating personification. And actually, personification is really huge because any of you that are watching the Marvel movies or Game of Thrones, you're watching personified value. And to that point, Thor is a 3,000-year-old ancestor who was personified thunder, who is now personified heroism. So if our kids love personification, and we do too, then we need to return back to those modalities that should legislate everything as a being. Um, you also mentioned Te Uruwera. I was lucky enough this year to, to go to the living building, uh, Tuhoi's living building, and, and I don't think I understood until I got there and was shown around the way that that building expresses the essence of Tuhoi. It is, and I think it's actually about having a relationship with your house. You think about that. When you go home, do you have a relationship with your house? Do you personify it? Do you have a relationship with water? Do you have a relationship with your food? Do you have a relationship with energy? You know, we've got some real big issues now. You, you just think about um, the food one. Um, right now, um, agriculture is causing a bit of a mess to our environment. And that's because we've forgotten our relationship with our food. In fact, you could argue there's mass brutalization going on, right? And that's just because we've outsourced our relationship to food. I think we need to come back to these modalities because they help us grow a conscience. They help us grow empathy for emotion, environment, and people. And that actually addresses the issue of how a lot of our people are still disconnected, cold, and lonely. And that just doesn't make sense, Russell, when we can ship infrastructure to other planets. We can make it to the moon. We can talk to each other anytime, anywhere. How is it? that we can do that and have obscene wealth right next to poverty. Um, Tuhoi, I think, do, do that in quite an interesting way because that building is, is off the grid in most ways. They've got, they, they deal with their own sewage, uh, they've got solar panels on the roof, but it's on the grid in one really important way, they've got fibre. That's, that's important, isn't it? Absolutely important because then it means that you can start offering services in a different way and I think that's really powerful to those Fano members and iwi members of Tuhoi who can't make it back home. Um, and, you know, dare I say it, imagine a virtual reality of that that they could play across onto their phone anytime, anywhere around the world 
to help them feel connected because these places are the epicenter of our cultural universe or cultural multiverse, I guess you could say. And it, it just m makes sense that those things that we draw mana from, be it a mountain, be it a home or a house, be it a body of water or be it your family, how do we bring those experiences to us no matter where we are in the world because technology says that we can. Now, you used another word in that talk, well-being. Um, does this connect in some way to what the government's doing around the well-being budget? I absolutely think it does, um, although I believe their metrics will probably be very, very complicated because there's just so much input into it. But, you know, we, we talk about um, well-being all the time. If you say the words kia ora, you're constantly about well-being because it's telling you, be alive, be in the state of life. And aura itself means to have, to have of the sun the same energy. Um, talks about vitamin D. So, you know, my ancestors um, put their thousands of years of observation into this cool tool called Te Reo Māori and unlocked in this tool, if you, if you use this tool, you'll unlock, um, I think, some of the content that, that I can't even tell you. You have to speak the language to feel it. Um, I know that when I started dreaming in Te Reo, um, two years ago, ever since then, I've been accused of having these amazing innovative ideas, but I say to the same people, it's not me, I just open my mouth and the ancestor talks, and I think it's because of Te Reo Māori. You've got to get the computer to dream in Te Reo Māori now, don't you? Absolutely, and I think if we look at the likes of soul machines in them and some of the amazing work that they're doing with technology, what is it that's going to take us to be able to give agency to a machine? Um, that's actually about mana. Do you give something mana? It has to have tapu first. This is a very interesting time. Um, but I think it's also good because it means that my people can be employed to unlock some of said content. Um, and the world needs them. Um, a better Māori is a better, better multiverse. Yeah, and employment's important, isn't it? I mean, Ngāti Whātua has to increase its wealth so it can better look after its people. Yeah, I think the hard one for us is that, you know, we, we can talk about a $1.2 billion um, asset base um, that grew from $170 million of, of only eight years ago. Um, and we can talk about the economic power of that. But, you know, a lot of our family are still disconnected, cold and lonely. How do they connect to that narrative? So we've got to do it all. Um, and we've got to do it slowly. Um, a lot of people think that it's step by step, but I reckon it's actually toenail by toenail. It's kind of a case of hurry up and wait. <laughs> so where would you like to see this go in the next few years? I mean, I, I, I think it's significant that, that, that you're invited on that platform at places like AI Day. People want to hear a different idea, don't they? People love to hear a good story, Russell. Um, and, you know, as a storyteller yourself, you know what that's all about. Um, I think it's about how we get the right people with the right stories um, in, in front. And I, I think part of the code is find someone who um, has an understanding of te reo Māori, um, but also has an understanding of whatever industry or topic you're talking about, whether it's technology or law or accounting, get them in the room. Um, because you'd be surprised at some of the stuff that comes out of their mouth with the combination of their Māori content and their, uh, their Western view content, um, because out of that you get innovation. And uh, there's a lot of uh, really capable cousins of mine who are in the space right now, um, basically leveraging um, the amazing platform that the soldiers before us have left behind us, Uncle Joe Hawk and Bastion Point, 
those soldiers, you know, many of them are not here today. It's up to me to live up to the mana and, um, of what they left behind and enhancing your mana, um, Russell, ans- enhancing the mana of the environment of New Zealand. Um, yeah, hugely important. Yeah, that, that was actually going to be my next question. Are, are there others out there like you? I reckon, um, you know, um, Māoridom, especially from our side, we've been protecting it fiercely. Um, and that means that we sometimes point the fingers and therefore our narrative is, is not so inclusive or accessible. Um, but, I, you know, I've been in the um, post-settled uh, entity game with my iwi for the last four years. And what I'm absolutely convinced of is that there are people who uh, understand the modality of kaitiaki, but they aren't Māori. And I know now that Māori is not a race, it's a way. My ancestors had genealogy. So because they had genealogy, they knew who they were, so they didn't really care about any kind of racial difference. What they saw in difference was opportunity, and that's why you see when um, the first colonial settlers came, a lot of these Māori were willing to give away their land. They were willing to give it away, to share mana and share prosperity. And it's, it's my fortune to um, uphold um, that ancestral view. Sometimes it means turning to our own and pointing to their privilege and telling them, you know, when you say, you pull out this card, I'm a Māori, when you pull out this card, I'm a kaitiaki, what is that card? Are you living up to it? Um, and the cool thing is, you know, behind... I can say this, behind every great man, a Māori man, is his auntie. And actually, you know, when I was the technical officer of the um, the Bastion Point Reserve, I always went to my auntie for permission. didn't matter what uh, my generation said or what the council wanted. She was the last validator. And, uh, yeah, our aunties are always behind us, giving us a nudge and telling us the right thing to do. Excellent. Oh, kia ora, and best of luck with this. I'm, I'm fascinated by it, and I, I have to say, I for one um, would love to see manakitanga as a service. I like that idea. Yeah, manakitanga is love as a service, eh? Um, it's actually about how do we help others establish their mana. Um, so, ngā mihi nui ki o koutou, um, yeah, you know, whaia e koutou te tapu, whaia e koutou te reo Māori. Make sure that you ensure that you value existence, and that you ensure that well-being and agency go along with it. Kia ora. Kia ora. Kia ora e te iwi, te Aihe Butler here, Podcast Manager at The Spin-Off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a spin-off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.